As Deacon Larry mentioned last week, a lot of times when these gospel writers provide a story and don't provide a name, that doesn't necessarily mean they didn't know the name of the person. John was an eyewitness to most of the things he describes. But it is because they want us to be able to put ourselves in that place. John is giving us this story because it is such a powerful story of spiritual progress. What does it look like to know Jesus? How do we come to know him and become his disciples? That's also why the church gives us this gospel, the gospel last week of the woman at the well, and the gospel next week as our scrutiny readings, because these catechumens are going through this process of discipleship. And we want to use the great spiritual truths given to us in the Gospel of John to explain that process. So, notice the stages. The first stage of discipleship in this Gospel story is an experience of Jesus. Jesus comes to this man, and amazingly, comes to this man unbidden. We have plenty of stories in the Gospel where somebody is asking the Lord for a miracle. The woman with the hemorrhage, uh, Bartimaeus. And they ask him, and he gives them the miracle. Here, the guy doesn't ask. Jesus is passing by. He uses him, actually his disciples ask a question, and he uses him as an example. And then Jesus just heals him. He just does it. It's incredibly important that this be the order, because we have to remember we have to remember, Jesus is always the one who acts first. When we contemplate our path of discipleship, when we think about our process coming to the Lord, we have to remember it was not we who acted. It wasn't we who sought out the Lord. It wasn't we who said, oh Lord, I want to be a Christian. It was Jesus who chose us. And in this story of discipleship from the Gospel of John, it is Jesus who chose this man to give God the glory. He said, I'm going to heal this man even though he didn't ask me. The first thing that happens to us as disciples is that Jesus reaches out to us. He pulls on our hearts. He grabs us from where we are and says, whether you want it or not, I am now part of your life. You have now had an experience of salvation, an experience of your Lord. The second thing that happens is that there's a notice that our life has changed. So, in the Gospel, there is the neighbors. The neighbors say, wasn't this the guy who was begging? Like, what happened? Is this the guy? And they're confused. They don't even know if this is the right guy. Like, is this the guy who's begging? But he can see now. Is he the one? After we've been touched by Jesus, something changes in our lives. And that change, if it's authentic, if we pay attention to it, if we lean into it, that change is palpable. It's palpable to ourselves and palpable to the people around us. The people around us will start talking. They'll start asking questions. Is this, is this really the same guy that we knew? Is this really the same woman that we were friends with? Something's different. Sometimes they'll say, something's off. Something's changed about them. 
But we ourselves notice that change too. We know that something's different in us. Jesus has reached out, he's touched us, he's changed our lives, and something's different, and we don't even know what it is. That's why the blind man in the story, they ask him, and they said to him, where is he? And the blind man says, I don't know. Jesus heals the guy. He doesn't know where Jesus is. He knows that his life has been changed. This blind man knows that he can see, but he doesn't necessarily understand why. He doesn't know where Jesus is. He knows that this Jesus guy is really important to him, but he doesn't know anything about him. This is how discipleship goes. Our life changes before we really begin down that journey of faith. That authentic experience of Jesus is what prompts us to begin reading the scriptures, learning the faith, attending the Mass. But we're still very unsure at the beginning. We don't know where Jesus is. We're looking for him, looking for him in the scriptures, looking for him in the liturgy, looking for him in the catechism. We're searching for this man who changed our lives. What's the third thing that happens? Well, we begin to be challenged in our faith. At first, we're just like, whoa, something has happened. But we shouldn't forget, we're in a world that's fallen. It's marked by sin and death. And so, at every moment, our faith is going to be challenged. The first challenge that the blind man experiences is from the Pharisees. But even there, it's just division. There's a question about whether this is a good or a bad thing. They say, well, he was healed on the Sabbath. This is clearly a bad thing. But others are saying, but has it ever been seen that a man born blind is healed of his blindness? There's division. And there's division around us after Jesus touches our lives. Again, our friends will say, they're different. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like the new Joe or the new Sally. I don't know if I really appreciate this change in their life. I don't know if I want to hang out with them anymore. I don't know if I like the things we talk about. I don't know if I like our conversations. Our family and friends don't necessarily know what to do with us. And that's a challenge for us because, again, in our path of discipleship, we don't even necessarily know what to do with ourselves. We're still figuring out, do I like the new me? Do I even want to be a Christian? I never thought I would be one of these church people. And we have to get our our heads around that. But if our life has been touched by the Lord, if it's been touched by Jesus, there becomes a hunger in us that causes us to move forward even in our doubts. I want to know Jesus. I want to follow him. Even this division is solidifying in us, no, this is a good thing. I like being touched by the Lord. I like having a relationship with him. This is a good thing for me, and I want to lean into that. But then we hit the second challenge. More than just division around us, there's abandonment. When the Pharisees call in the parents of the man born blind, remember, these are this guy's parents, right? Parents are often the sort of people who are saying, I'll give up anything for my kids. I'll do anything for these kids. These parents leave this guy out to dry. They hang him out to dry. They say, we don't want to answer for him. Right? We know that this is dangerous. We know that we might get kicked out of the synagogue. We don't want to be persecuted. And they just throw him under the bus. They just say, you know what? Answer him. Ask him yourself. Like He can answer for himself. This guy is abandoned by his parents. In our path of discipleship, 
we should expect, if we're living it right, if we're following Jesus authentically and truly, we should expect to be abandoned by some of those that we previously had relationships with. Even some of our family and friends, we should expect, will walk away. Because our life is different. This image of blindness in the Gospel of John, of course, it's a, it's a powerful spiritual image. It's used all over the place, where blindness represents sin, and being able to see represents the, the indwelling of God coming into our souls, right? But John is using this because it's a tangible thing. We know if a guy born blind who's begging is somehow made to see that his life is going to be different. And John is using that to emphasize when we know Jesus, when Jesus touches our lives and we begin to follow him, our life is going to be as tangibly different as the life of the man born blind. The ability to see changes everything. We can interact with the world around us, we can touch things, we can operate as society needs us to operate. It's very difficult to be blind. We know being able to see is life-changing. So, of course, being able to know the Lord is even more life-changing. Our life will look tangibly different after we have an experience of the Lord. So tangibly different that our family and friends may consider abandoning us. If they are uncomfortable with the message of Jesus, if they are uncomfortable in the way our life is different, they may contemplate it. It's a challenge to our faith that will happen in the path to discipleship. And then finally we have the third challenge to our faith, the societal persecution. For some of us, this is easier than the abandonment, potentially, by our family and friends. For some of this, us, this is harder. But the last thing that happens to the man born blind is he's called in to answer to the Pharisees again, and it's made very clear to him at the beginning of this exchange what's going to happen. They say, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. They have communicated to him right now. They will not accept any pro-Jesus messages in his response. They need him to give an answer that is not in favor of the Lord. These are the leaders of the people. That's why John keeps referring to them as the Jews. It's a term that John uses to refer to the leaders of the Jewish people. These are the leaders of the people. If they reject this man, he is going to be rejected by the entire society. He will be ostracized and exiled. He knows the danger that he is facing. And there he is, facing that down, knowing by claiming the Lord, as he does in this exchange, he is going to be thrown out. And that's what happens at the end. Then they threw him out. He was thrown out of the synagogue, essentially of society. He was exiled from everything that he knew. He was going to just have to kind of wander alone. He had no place where he belonged because he claimed Jesus. This has happened at every era of Christianity, but it's particularly acute today. It is not a popular position to be very pro-Jesus. You can be kind of pro-Jesus. You can be like, yeah, I go to church on Sunday, and yeah, okay, you know, I do this, I pray sometimes, I'm kind of spiritual. But, particularly for Catholics, because we have all of these rather 
mm, not popular moral positions. Generally, if you say you go to mass on Sunday, people kind of expect you to be like, "But I don't agree with everything the church does." You kind of have to do that to be accepted. It's a challenge to our faith. It's a challenge to our faith. As we become disciples, we have to answer for our relationship with Jesus to the wider society, whether it's in season or out of season. It is not always popular to be a Christian. It is not always popular to follow Jesus fully and completely, to be all in, jump in the deep end of the pool. But that's what discipleship looks like. As we go through the confusion and the doubt, as we go through the questions from our family and friends, as we go through whatever society wants to do with Jesus, at every moment our faith is tested. At every moment we have to choose, am I going to continue to follow this man who has changed my life, or am I going to walk away? Am I going to be all in, or am I going to hedge my bets so that others will accept me? It's a difficult question, but it is in these questions that we forge the heart of a disciple. That we forge the heart of somebody who will follow Jesus no matter what. How does this end, though? It ends with another encounter with the Lord. This guy, whose life was changed by Jesus, has had to go through all of this alone. All of this persecution. All of this questioning. He does not know where Jesus is. He's been looking for him. But as his faith has been challenged, his answers get stronger and stronger. At first he doesn't know where Jesus is, and then he says that he's a prophet. And then by the end, he's trying to evangelize the Pharisees. He's saying, do you want to be his disciples too? The Pharisees laugh at him and then throw him out. But this guy authentically has grown in his faith through these persecutions. And because he has grown in his faith, the second that Jesus shows up again, the second that he has another encounter with the Lord, his immediate response is, tell me, who is the Son of Man? Who is he? And then the second Jesus identifies himself, the Gospels say, and he worshipped him. He had prepared his heart through doubts, through struggles, through persecutions, so that when he encountered the Lord, he was ready to accept the Lord fully and completely. My dear catechumens, the church gives you this gospel because the church wants you to know what you are getting into. By accepting the gift of baptism, by allowing your lives to be touched by our Lord Jesus Christ, you are accepting the path of discipleship, which will not be easy at every step of the way. But if you endure, if you remember that Jesus has changed your life, and if you remember that even in persecution, even when it's not popular to do so, your heart will be ready to accept all of the gifts and the graces that the Lord wishes to give you for the rest of your life and for eternity. Now, I also want to speak about homelessness this weekend. Consider this gospel from a different perspective. This guy has faced so many challenges and persecutions. Now imagine if at any point his courage had failed him. Or imagine if at any point the systems around him had broken down even further. So there is a man born blind. He is already at a disadvantage. 
If we were to make an analogy with those brothers and sisters that we have on the street, we might say there are a lot of people who are born into situations that are difficult. Some of them are born into situations of mental illness, possibly economic insecurity, possibly family abuse or trauma, all sorts of things that are going to make their lives particularly difficult. This man in the Gospel, the first time we see him, he's begging on the street. It's already a difficult place to be. Now imagine if his blindness wasn't healed. So he's already at a disadvantage, he's already struggling, he's already on the street. What's the next thing that happens? He's not recognized by his friends. They don't know who he is. All of the traumas of his life have caused him to get to a place where they can't even recognize the guy that they once knew. They're just, these traumas are building on each other. The difficulty of being on the street, of having to deal with that day in and day out. And then, his family doesn't even recognize him. His family just can't deal with him for whatever reason, right? Again, the analogy to real-world situations, sometimes those traumas develop into a full-blown mental health crisis or a full-blown addiction crisis, something that can't be dealt with. I have walked with members of our congregation who have children who are in that situation, and they don't know what to do, and I don't know what to tell them. You can only assist somebody for so long, but if they're in an addiction cycle, there sometimes begins to be mistruths, there begins to be stealing, there begins to be abuse and things that just cannot be allowed to happen in a household. And they have to take their own children and they have to say, you can't live here anymore. And then imagine, after all of those traumas build up, imagine the rest of society doesn't know what to do with you either, right? That exile, that ostracization, that inability to integrate in, that, that rejection by the society that we've built. Imagine that every one of those breakdowns, that there wasn't a way out. And you can begin to think about, you begin to almost imagine the struggle and the desperation of the people that we encounter on the street. Well, what's the solution? Ultimately, if we're going to take our gospel seriously, ultimately the solution to everything is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Ultimately, all of those traumas that people are dealing with, the Lord knows human trauma. He was and is a human being. He knows what it's like to be human. And the Lord has not decided to eradicate all trauma and all illness from this world. That was not his plan of salvation. Instead, his plan of salvation was to be with us in the trauma. And when we have Jesus, no matter what traumas we've experienced in our past, no matter what we were born into or we experienced in our life, when we have Jesus, we have healing for those traumas. We are able to withstand them and endure them. Jesus is able to heal our relationships with our friends, with our families, and with our society. With him and with his healing, we can begin to make progress. And then, all of the different social services that we talk about begin to be effective. All of the social services that we put money toward as taxpayers, then they can have an effect. But if we're stuck in the trauma of rejection, if we're stuck in the trauma of exile, nothing that the rest of society can throw money at is going to help. It's for this reason that I feel very blessed that the primary homelessness agency in the area is Christian. 
A few weeks ago, I was able to meet with some of the leadership team at Lighthouse Mission, and they spent some time running me through their vision of people, vision of ministry, vision of what it looks like to serve the poor and the marginalized. And that vision, if I remember it correctly, and Hans will correct me if I didn't, but that vision was first and foremost encountering the person and helping them find healing for their traumas. And I'm, again, so blessed that that agency is Christian because I know that that healing cannot happen without Jesus. A man born blind, rejected by his family, friends, and society, needs to have an experience of Jesus first before anything else is really going to help him and heal We are so blessed in Bellingham that we have fellow Christians doing that work. I hope we don't take that for granted. I hope when we encounter people, we understand this person needs a human encounter before they need a bureaucratic encounter. This person needs to know that they are loved before they they can know that there are services available. In all of this, in all of this, it is most helpful for us to remember our own experiences with Jesus. Because that experience is where we find healing. Once we have that healing, we can endure anything. And once we have that healing, we can bring that healing experience of Jesus out into the world, to our family, to our friends, and to our society.